0: Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, AM 1150. We have a great show today. In the first segment, we're going to be talking with Kelly O'Mara, who is the Director of International Companion Animals with the Humane Society International. going to be talking specifically about uh, natural disaster relief in uh, the wake of Hurricane Haiyan. And then uh, later in the show, we'll be talking with One of my mentors and someone who I learned from back when I was a budding apprentice in the industry of dog training and behavior, Tracy Ross, is with us. And we'll be talking with Tracy about all about dog aggression and getting into that um, big topic that uh, means a lot of different things. So great show today. Uh, as I look out the window today, I'm struck by what a nice day it is to take your dog for a walk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's a great day to take your dog for a walk. Always, you know. Really. you got to be prepared for what's out there. But, uh, hey, it's a, it's a good time. And what better way to say happy holidays to your canine friend. Yeah. Right? Yep. And happy holidays, by the way, if I Thank may you. interject to you, Julie, and all our listening audience.
0: Yeah, you too. Um, so let's talk to kelly now kelly is hey kelly where are you calling from i'm in washington dc oh wonderful well thanks for being on the show today and you are with humane society international and i have talked with the humane society of the united states on the show before tell us a little bit about what humane society international does as an organization
2: well, Humane Society International is the, we were, we were referred to as sort of the international arm to the Humane Society of the United States. So we take on many of the same issues that the HSU addresses, uh, including uh, companion animals, wildlife, protection issues, farm animal issues, as well as um, animals in testing and cosmetics.
0: Mm. And so what is the work? With all of those different categories, how would you describe? I mean, really advocating for animals or trying to protect animals and their rights? Yes, yes,
2: okay. we have we have um, many campaigns to address the most egregious cruelties within um, within these animal issues. Um, but we also uh, take on direct care programs, which really falls under uh, my department specifically within companion animals. We have uh, direct care and veterinary care programs throughout the world. Um, We are working in in the efforts of about 40 countries, um, whether that's supporting local organizations that are doing the work or doing it directly ourselves through the teams that we have on the ground. But our work specifically handles the street dog issue that many people, if they've traveled in the developing world, they see very clearly that there's dogs wandering the street. Um, Some of them are in far uh, worse condition than others. And um, we try to address it through working with governments to have them... Uh, take on a humane, comprehensive, and effective program to hopefully uh, reduce the overpopulation issue that exists in many of the countries.
0: And in your, it's really wonderful work that you do, certainly much needed, what do you find to be the most needed, whether it be uh, resources or education or a combination of, what do you find is the most effective uh, solution to these problems as you're doing this work? What do you see that works works the best?
2: Yes, well, everything we do, all the programs that we implement, always involve sterilization and vaccination because those are two components that are absolutely necessary in order to address the overpopulation issue of, of street dogs in the world. Um, however, there's you know many governments who, who take on... Um, rather cruel methods of animal control, including poisoning and electrocution and shooting. And our, our intent is to go into these countries and, and discuss and educate the the governments, as well as just the, the local organizations that are already you know, struggling to really try and, and get these programs implemented on the ground. Our intent is to, to, to bring in that international um, weight, if you really want to call it that, to work with the government and get them to understand the need for uh, not only a humane policy, but also an effective one that will truly address the overpopulation issue, um, you know, w- within a number of years.
0: Yeah. Well, w- one of the things that I wanted to focus on today is really the work that you do with disaster relief and, um, you know, especially after the, the recent hurricane in the Philippines and, and around um, Haiyan, the, you know, it's not reported Really much at all in mainstream news, anyway, about the impact on the animals in these environments. And I always think about it whenever, you know, anytime anything happens—the the tsunami mm-hmm. in Japan, or you know, any anything that happens either in our country or um, elsewhere around the world. I'm always thinking about oh, the pets and the animals around and the impact on them. And you do a lot of work. Um, In that area And you said that you had been working In those areas actually for a few years already And you already had Some um, people and resources On the ground there that seemed to Help your efforts anyway But tell us, what do you do in response To help support those communities And their animals?
2: Right, well, um, Society International has been been helping animals In in disaster situations Since the uh, major Asian tsunami Which was struck in 2004 and since that time when there's been a major disaster we have we have gone in and, and attempted in any way we can to to help the animals, whether it be direct you, or it be working with the government to develop a plan of, of handling and managing the animal issues, or in some cases just doing a mass vaccination program to prevent the culling that sometimes happens following disaster because of the scare, the public health scare that United disease will start to exchange between people and, and animals that are in within the same crisis. But in the case of the Philippines, we had been working there for about four or five years on the island of Cebu. We've been doing a mass uh, veterinary training, the tr- veterinary training center there. So we've reached about a hundred veterinarians throughout the country and training them to do specifically spay neuter. And with that network, we were able to immediately dive into that network of, of veterinarians when this when this major disaster. Uh, took place in you know just a few weeks ago or a month ago now and with that we were able to be very quick and effective in, in going going into the affected areas and immediately helping the animals on the ground. In the case of the Philippines, it was mainly pets. Many, many people have pets in the Philippines which, which may come as a surprise to some people and all of those pets were affected, along with people, as you say, and many of them are just the silent victims. They're always the silent victims, of disaster. But in this case, there were many people who who were desperately trying to help their animals. Mm. And when we went in, what we found is there were some roaming animals, but there were many animals that had been displaced. And there were actual pets that had been displaced during the during the during the chaos. And so, what we did is go in, develop a mobile veterinary care that we were offering direct care to animals that needed it. Plus, helping pets directly in families, we were helping them to keep those animals safe and to keep them fed. We were offering food and water. That was a necessity just to get them through the crisis. Mm-hmm. But we also offered a direct rescue service for people. If people called a hotline that we developed, we were willing to go in and rescue their animals from their homes, whatever of their home may exist, mm. and bring them out, bring them back to Cebu in our temporary shelter and reunite them with their
0: family. Wow. That must be really moving to witness, because I can't imagine really, being in that position.
2: It really is. I mean, imagine these people have lost everything, um, and then they can't mm-hmm. care for you know, a family member that has survived it, and um, they often had to leave them behind. Very similar mm-hmm. to our Katrina, that's the place here where they had to leave their beloved pets behind. Mm-hmm. It's very similar um, in the Philippines, and so we were very happy to be able to offer them that the, the opportunity to reunite with their animal and know that their animal was safe and, and you know, in the care of good hands.
0: Mm. Well, it's really wonderful, really wonderful work. How can people support your efforts as it's really still still going on and will take a long time, I imagine, to recover from this natural disaster as it, as it does? Um, how can people support your efforts?
2: Yes, well, obviously, as you mentioned before, I mean, resources are always... Um, there's never enough um and that seems to be an ongoing ongoing problem when it comes to disasters is that the recovery efforts in this case t- tens of thousands of people' homes have been affected by by this disaster and it's widespread and, and there will always be a need to to build back the infrastructure that was in place and and offer the direct care and the food and and the resources that that were in place at one point and no longer are, mm-hmm. and and hopefully make it bigger and better than it was beforehand, so that animals are even in um, better care than they were before. Mm-hmm. And that is our intent in our recovery efforts. We will plan to be in the Philippines for a very long time, um, as long as needed, as um, we were prior to the disaster.
0: Yeah. So, how can people? Is there a place people can go to make a donation um, on through your website, or how does that work?
2: Yes, absolutely. Well, you can visit- National website is pretty easy. It's hsi.org. Um, they can also find all of the uh, previous disaster work that we have been a part of, um, and all of the details of this of this. Research. Actually, it's still there on the ground. We have a team of ten veterinarians that do rotational uh, visits to the hardest areas, and we'll be there again if we need to. Be.
0: So that was um, hsi.org for Humane Society International. And it's the International branch branch of the Humane Society of the United States. And again, that's hsi.org. You can make a donation just through their website to support their efforts there. Kelly, thanks so much for your time today on the show and for the work that you do all over the world for um, companion animals. Thank you so much, Julie. Okay. We're going come we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a few minutes and we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk with Tracy Ross who is a dog training and behavior expert about specifically dog aggression. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options, This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Peggy Kaler at West Star
3: Pacific Mortgage in Duval, we cover the world of animals. This week, July 12th, it's a Talk with Your Animals Sunday with gifted animal communicator, medium, and Reiki master Darcy Pariso. Darcy can help you talk and learn about your animal friends or help you connect with animal or human loved ones on the other side. Plan to give us a call on Martha Norwalk's Animal World,
0: Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist, and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog Behavior. behavior, training, and nutrition specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. Hey, dog show fans. Does something stink in your home or car? Pure Air is a powerful odor eliminator that is the only natural food grade product in its category. It works on bedding, kennels, litter boxes, urine, vomit, poop, even skunk spray. You know, all the fun smells our pets bring into our home. It's so non-toxic that you can literally eat it, a requirement for our home and our dogs. Spray Pure Air on anything you can put water on and let your nose watch the odor disappear. Ask for Pure Air in stores that specialize in natural, non-toxic products for home. Or visit DogRadioShow.com for a link to their website. I'm Julie Forbes, your host of The Dog Show. Pure Air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it.
4: Listen live at 1150 KKNW.com. Alternative Talk, 1150
2: AM.
0: Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And with us in the booth is Tracy Ross, who is a local training and behavior expert um and also somebody who I learned from back in my budding days as an apprentice, and uh welcome to the show, Tracy. That was let's see uh about twelve years ago that I met you. That's probably right, yeah, and I wanted
3: to say thank you so much for having me julie
0: yeah, absolutely it's it's really an honor to have you here and uh you know, I remember watching you. So we're talking today about aggression. and um, there are so many different aspects of dog behavior. So there's mm-hmm. anxiety, there's uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. Play. Correct. I mean, you know, just like people, they have a whole range of um emotions. They're not the same as people, they're dogs, but they certainly have individual personalities um all sorts of different factors and one of those big categories that is probably one of the most misunderstood or that's really people are really in the dark about is when we talk about dogs and aggression and i think the first thing that there is for us to say about that topic is that you can't just say dog aggression and expect to really know what anybody means because Correct. there's so many different places where dog aggression can come from dogs use aggression to as part of for example natural healthy communication just yep. setting boundaries so i remember the other thing i think that makes it tricky for people is that it's scary
3: yes it can be very scary for owners especially who don't know what they're they're looking at
0: yeah i mean and just regular natural healthy communication between dogs that is in the category of aggression can scare the average person and oh my gosh what's yes you know they think that if they're in any amount of aggression is just dangerous when really it's just natural communication so and I remember very very clearly uh watching you when I was just learning about how to work with dogs work with it's something that I'm probably the most one of the things that I'm the most grateful for in my apprenticeship was the exposure that I did get to some of the more intense cases and that it wasn't just about teaching dogs how to sit and how to lay down but it was really learning about behavior with some depth mm-hmm. and I remember watching you work with a, a dog I don't remember I think it was actually I think it was a cocker spaniel which wouldn't surprise either of us but um but uh and I was like watching you work the dog and I was scared really Just because of the just be it was like the all of the apprentices, I think there were four of them in my in my program. And we were just standing, you know, out watching you and you were kind of describing to us what was going on and Mm -hmm. and the dog was it was a really aggressive dog that was really had bitten someone, I think, and 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 you know, and I wasn't even working the dog, and I was like, my heart was racing, (laughs) and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. And so I can appreciate why it's scary because we're animals too, and we have the fear response, and we don't want to put ourselves into danger, and so we Mm -hmm. can just kind of be like, I don't, ah, you know, that's scary. So, and as I've I've certainly gotten a lot more comfortable with aggression, and I think one of the things now that is. And i and you've said this too, is that I know a dog is that it's not just like, "Oh, that's just a dog being a dog is that if I do feel scared now, then that lets me know that some that this is a different kind of case than just sort of a normal normal communication mm-hmm. or maybe just some kinks that need to be worked out. We wanted to start off talking about the different places that um aggression can come from, so to okay. speak. Because um, there's a lot of different, lot of different reasons why a dog might use aggression in communication. Sometimes they have control of it. Sometimes they don't. And one of the th- the first things that you said is energy. Correct. Um, so what do you mean by that?
3: Well, energy is usually a genetic trait. So if you have a terrier, they're going to use a lot of. Uh, Or they're going to see energy, dogs moving quickly or dogs chasing a ball, and they're going to want to go after that. And uh, that energy that that other dog brings to the table can trigger sometimes terriers, sometimes they're herding breeds and so forth. So, you know, a dog walking around Green Lake with his tags jingling around or bouncing around being excited can definitely trigger uh, dogs to want to uh, assert themselves over that dog or perhaps even go after that dog.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And this is something I remember talking with Maggie McClure about, who's the coordinator of the Vashon Sheepdog Trials. Okay, And we were talking about border collies Mm -hmm. in particular. And she says it's like they, she describes them as having a really large antenna. It's like as if they had, because they're just picking up on everything. Yes. And I think the interesting thing about energy, and this doesn't just pertain to aggression, but I really think this pertains to interacting with dogs in general, is that that's one of the ways that they communicate and one of the ways that they, I mean, both communicate out and also receive information is just quality of energy. Correct. I mean, you could apply that to lots of different things. Presence, when I'm te- you, know, talking about the kind of presence somebody has, that's really what we're talking about is a quality of energy. And
3: the energy of the owner as well. Yeah. You know, bantering on or or whatever they're doing to the dog that might be instigating it versus not.
0: Yeah. So... Dogs being very, um, and some breeds more than others, but very almost vulnerable to the energy of their environment. So, if there's something that's a high energy in the environment that's going to maybe trigger the dog, is it? Would you describe it like it? The dog's energy match. It's like ooh, there's something that's high energy that gets me excited, and then, and then what happens? Is it like the energy? has to then, like it comes out in the dog's primary drive?
3: I would say majority of the time, yes. And sometimes I think there's, people have said like the dog just checked out. Mm -hmm. And I do see that on occasion where the dog just loses control of any sort of thought process and just responds. And that would be more so of the, the genetic makeup of the dog where it is bred to do that and just respond and negate anything else that's going on around it. And then also there are dogs who are very much in control of what they're doing and make very clear decisions with regards to the energy.
0: Is one more, do you think, easier to work with versus the other? Because there's... So I'll, I'll hear what you say first.
3: Yes. <laughs> you know, every case is different, but yes. Yeah. I la- What makes a dog who is in control of what he's doing and has a thought process difficult is because you have to convince them otherwise. Right. I want you to do something else. Right. But... In that same sentence, now maybe there's an open possibility and an open window where, yes, we can put something else in place. Mm -hmm. Whereas the dog who's just checked out, I mean, sometimes there's just nothing you can do to get in front of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. They they both have different sort of pros and cons. Mm -hmm. And I think what you said, and this is something that we talked about that just kept coming up over and over and over and over again as we were talking about this topic, getting ready for this show was that every case is different. Every dog is Correct. different. Yep. You can't say, do this, do that, and and, and, and apply it without knowing th- every detail about the individual dog. And this is Correct. something that I've said on the show, just in talking about basic training and behavior. I mean, that's definitely a more straightforward topic, but every dog is different. Mm-hmm. Dogs, Dogs learn differently even from each other. Well, prior learning too has a big, you mm-hmm.
3: know, facet on what the dog's thinking and what it has already encountered.
0: And genetics. I mean, even Correct. with basic yeah. training. I mean, we have cattle dogs that are just like, T- what are we doing? Tell me what to do. What are we doing? What? Do- right. Let's work together. Let's work together. What are we doing? What do-, you know, all constantly. Right. All they want to do is be told what to do. Right.
3: Well, the cattle dog, that's an interesting one that you bring up because I have seen cattle dogs who are backbiters who will go after the butts and the back of calves and so forth, But then there's the cattle dogs that have the aggression coming from the front. Mm. And when I started to look into that, there are cattle dogs that are called headers and then the ones that bring up the rear. Mm. So there are cattle dogs who will herd from behind, and that's kind of what their job is. But also there's a certain breed that will come from the front and take the bull on head on. Mm. And so it's not just the straightforward herding breed coming at the rear. And so those cattle dogs, once they decide that this is something they're going to do, they're going to come at you from both ends.
0: Wow. Yeah. (laughs) cattle dogs are a lot of dog that's for sure. Uh I have two of them and they're wonderful and they are a lot of dog. They keep us on our toes for sure. But the interesting thing about to to generalize about herding breeds is that they uh they just they love they generally love to work. Mhm. like to learn. Let's do obedience training. Hounds, different story. Especially I've found sight hounds to be particularly tough. Correct me too. I have a dachshund who's a scent hound who I actually got from Tracy years (laughs) ago Um, and she's fortunately very food motivated so she'll do anything for food but just she doesn't have that inherent like I want to work for you let's let's work together she's more like I would like to track that scent. Correct. And you your job is to keep up.
3: Or or cover me with a blanket on the couch. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. (laughs) Um, Okay so Energy, you know, there's so, there's just so much to talk about. And, and the good news is that we can do multiple shows on this topic. Um, I wanted to clarify something before we go to our first break. And that is for people who are listening who might not know what we mean by drive. Okay. Uh, when I say a dog gets, um, Responding to the heightened energy of the environment so that the dog feels the impact internally their energy rises and then that energy Sort of goes from through them or from within them in a different direction like it needs somewhere to go Mm -hmm. And then oftentimes if the dog is not given Is not told how that's going to be directed or how they should direct it if it's up to them impulse instinct drive Okay. So what do what do you mean for people who maybe don't know anything about training or behavior but love their dog love dogs? What do you mean by drive?
3: Drive in in direct relation to genetics?
0: Just in, I think more generally, like dogs have different drives. Uh, yeah, they do have different drives. Or different breeds, I guess. Like, how would that? How would? How do you see? You know, aggression cuz it looks it seems to look different based off of the like the the inclination of the breed if genetics are at play like a, a bulldog versus a um border collie for example
3: yeah so with genetics the drives are different mm-hmm. uh, and again that goes back to what the dog was bred to do was it bred to Nip and get a large animal to move, or was it bred to actually you know kill something like a lot of the ratters and terriers were? Mm-hmm. so that has a big impact on what that dog is going to do. Mm-hmm. yeah,
0: so just I guess the style of how that's um expressed is you know, we really did a lot of intentional work over the years of creating these different breeds for different jobs to do mm-hmm. different things mm-hmm. and uh, so different dogs will express things differently and then, um just speaking to that real quick mixed breeds oh those are tough <laughs> yeah because i mean if even if you know uh you know like a and of course again so this just comes up constantly every dog is different yes you take a border collie lab mix
3: yes and it looks like a lab but boy does it act like a border collie yeah yeah and the owner's frustrated and confused
0: right yeah we thought we got a lab yeah um, and, you know, interesting too with doodles now. Yes. The Labradoodles, two very different breeds.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they, they're, they yeah, I don't know what, what to expect with doodles other than to not know what to expect really <laughs> when I meet them. Yeah. Um, so it's just such interesting stuff in talking about dog behavior in this way. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk more. We talked about sort of the energy category of of aggression, this big topic, and we're going to talk about some other other categories as well. We're talking with Tracy Ross. Tracy, uh, you work with uh, you do private lessons, correct? In home private lessons, do you do? Yes. Okay. And you work. Uh, what is your area that you cover?
3: I've been known to drive quite a ways for the for the right situation and for somebody who really needs help. Mm-hmm. So there really isn't much of a limit.
0: Mm-hmm. Mostly though, you're further. You're more north north, north of seattle yes
3: correct more north okay yeah
0: and how do people contact you
3: uh my phone number would be the best and what's that 425 238 9659 that would be my cell
0: all right so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a few minutes you're listening to the dog show with julie forbes if i had my life to live over know just what I'd like to be pampered pet of a rich brunette sitting on my mama's knee someone to love me someone to care rub a double double little finger through my hair and
4: leader dog life what a life That's
0: good pure air's powerful formula lets you eliminate pet odors safely it's strong enough to effectively get rid of smells like urine plus stronger odors like those that can be caused by illness. Pure Air is safe enough to spray directly onto people, animals, or use in the bath or laundry. Pure Air is perfect for dealing with dire situations, refreshing your dog between baths, or just before company comes. Pure Air is the most effective product you can buy to remove stinky pet odors safely. Find it at stores like Mud Bay, McClendon's, and Natural Pet Pantry, Or visit their website, pureair.com. That's pure, A-Y-R-E, dot com. I'm Julie Forbes, host of The Dog Show. Pure Air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it.
4: Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet. A local family practice. jetcityanimalclinic.com don't forget, this is Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m.
0: If I had a bone to be picking, a picking chicken or a steak. Curled up there in an easy chair, man, that won't be hard to take. I'll always be faithful, and that's what I'd be. Never bite a hand that feeds me no sirree, just lead a dog's life. What a life. That's good enough for me. Welcome back to the dog show with Julie Forbes, and we are talking with Tracy Ross, who is an expert in dog behavior and training, and someone who I learned from way back over a decade ago when I was in my apprentice program for dog training and behavior. Welcome to the show. Welcome Thank back you. to the show. So we're talking about this big term, this big word in the world world of dog behavior, which is aggression. And uh, it's such an umbrella term that really it can mean so many different things. And one of the things that we'll be talking about in a little bit is the part of dog aggression that's actually part of natural, healthy communication. Correct. And how dogs use aggression normally mm-hmm. as, can as be mislabeled. As, yeah, and and we. I mean, I I hear people talk about this all the time. Um, you know, when like at the dog park, for example, or <laughs> when people just freak out over over normal communication but so we were talking um in our first segment with Tracy about energy and how dogs and certain breeds seem to be more um sensitive to this than others uh you, you know you mentioned terriers mm-hmm. and um herding breeds being mm-hmm. quite sensitive generally to energy And really responding, the energy of the environment is heightened and then the dog gets excited and then they can't, they almost get overwhelmed or just that, that, that excitement needs to go out of them somewhere in a direction. And so how that kind of manifests is Mm -hmm. through their primary drive. And so we were talking about, well, what is drive? And I was like, hmm, I don't even know if I'd know how to answer my own question with that one. But it's basically to me what that means is like the dogs, the dogs drive like a, a herding breed Herds, so its behavior manifests in a certain way to fulfill a, a job description. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: and you have your guarding breeds. They're much, much more thoughtful, in my opinion, about the aggression and how they're going to use it. Mm. They have to be a little bit more clear and decipher is this friend or foe.
0: Yeah. So, so interesting the different, all the different job descriptions that we've given, all of these different breeds that we've created. And then the challenges that result in those and people getting these breeds because of how they look or yes. and not really understanding what these dogs are are meant to do and, and what their genetics are going to be telling them to do in response to different environments. So just a little side note there to be really clear if you're getting a dog, especially if you're after a purebred dog, to understand what the dog's job description was and, and if it's. Uh, you know high energy chaotic environment with lots of little kids running around it might not be the best fit for like a a a cattle dog most definitely yeah (laughs) um for example so now you know tracy and i do similar work i learned from a great deal of what i know i learned from tracy um thank you and we we consult now which is great on certain cases if i've got a, a really tricky dog that's just man this is a a very complex dog, and, and you know we'll collaborate a lot on dogs, which, which I enjoy a lot. And one of those topics in evaluating a dog's aggressive behavior um, is looking at, is there something medical going on that correct. could be causing this? So and there's two different kind of subcategories of that: medical um, category, which would I would say would be like chemical, correct? and then physical. So the dog's in pain.
3: Yep, pain or perhaps, you know, even the eyesight is diminished or the Mm -hmm. hearing is diminished and they they may respond differently towards a certain situation.
0: Mm -hmm. So understanding, I mean, there's so much to look at and evaluate to really figure out what's making this dog as an individual tick, so to speak. Um, Physical pain, if the dog's got pain in their hips and then they snap when their hind end is touched, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, And then... The chemical, I think, is a little less straightforward and certainly less known about. For example, one of the things um, that first comes to mind for me would be like thyroid. Yes. Um, so I've actually had Dr. Jean Dodds on the show a few times, um, one talking about her um, work with rabies vaccinosis and rabies vaccines, and then another time talking to her about um the canine thyroid epidemic is the title of her book. Okay. And, um, you know, what, as far as hypothyroid, so a low thyroid function, and that this can cause behavioral challenges as well as physical challenges. So, yes. talk a little bit about your experience with this.
3: Well, with my experience, I, I get a little bit of both where the dog isn't functioning properly and they are able, unable to control themselves in certain situations. Like, for instance, somebody coming home or guests coming into the home, they kind of lose their brain a little bit and not be able to think through what's being asked of them and so forth. And then also when they practice that for a long time because they're not, you know, in control of themselves, it becomes a really bad habit as well. Mm. So once you get the thyroid under control and they're they're in control of it and they're functioning a little bit better, then you still have The bad habits of them you know practicing that for so long too that that's where your obedience and communication
0: comes in as well. And the thyroid um, what are some typical things that would kind of give you where you might look at a dog and be like "Mm, this dog let's get this dog's thyroid tested as opposed to a dog that's just bad habits or it's genetic or something else.
3: With thyroid I see a direct relation to anxiety. Mm. Uh, for instance, you know some of the crate training or the the famously labeled separation anxiety, and the things that I'll look at is is definitely breed. Pit bulls do have some some problems in that area, um, but age, you know, mm-hmm. right around two, three, four, uh, and and upwards, of course, is, is usually on the front of my brain, mm-hmm. and then that goes hand in hand with some of the the physical changes of the dog. You know, the skin and ear infections and and things like right. that,
0: but. Yeah, the combination of the telltale health problems, yeah. um, chronic infection, um, allergies, and then yeah. pair that with sort of a weird behavior with anxiety and and aggression. Yeah, yeah. So the good news about thyroid is that so well, there's good news and bad news about testing thyroid. We rule it out. <laughs> well, one just getting the accurate
3: test. Yes. I almost always send people down to Gene Dodds.
0: Yeah, so making sure, because I've had a lot of people where I recommend they have the dog's thyroid tested and then they have their the dog's thyroid tested through their regular vet and that particular vet maybe doesn't understand the condition to the depth that's needed and doesn't do the test properly and so it really wasn't tested. Correct. So um, Or they
3: send it to the local lab, which doesn't do a, a right. thorough
0: so just to give that website, hemopet.org is uh, Dr. Dodd's website, and you can do a really uh, um, probably that's the the test that I am, have the most confidence in because she's the authority really in this topic, um, that thyroid. There's a lot of different aspects of it to test. It's not just testing one thing. They have to test mm-hmm. different levels of different things. So, But it is a blood draw. When the test is done properly, it's it's just a blood test, so it is easy enough to to rule out and then yep. you know if you've got that contributing to it um other medical things like i know one of the things that we've talked about um more like i remember you talking about seizure that the um brain activity is similar to that of a seizure or um like more neurological i guess would be talking about issues um, and some dogs that, I don't know how better to describe it, but there's just like something's off in the wiring. Yep.
3: You just kind of get a sense. that just something is not right here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it, I don't see it too often, but I have certainly seen it over the years and you know those are the situations often where you know it really rarely happens but where you know the dog will end up needing to be euthanized because of the aggression
3: yeah you can't it's it's not genetics it's not yeah it's not medical it's just not something's right born with a high temper whatever yeah and it's not
0: something the dog has control of correct and that's important to um understand about this is that it's not it's a bad dog it's not that the dog you know it's like just you know bad wiring's without with lack of a better term exactly yeah um so lots of lots of things looking at in the medical thing i of course have to talk about even things as simple as food yep Uh, especially if a dog is allergic and they're eating something that they're allergic to that can certainly upset them or just make them not feel good yes and i know when i'm not feeling well i'm not in the best of moods so maybe my tolerance is lower and that can affect dogs as well and then the you know these some of these big brand foods that are just super high in grain or even have sugar in them.
3: Well, the one case that I remember hearing about when you know when I was learning as well was a dog that was came in for biting the owners and severely biting the owners and mm-hmm. we you know took the dog in for training and worked with it and beautiful dog, great dog, you know, and we just couldn't figure out what was going on and what was causing this behavior. And we sent the dog home and sure enough it bit again. And to make a very long story short, it was allergic to yeast. And it was getting the freshly cooked bread off the counter and eating it. And guaranteed (laughs) within 12 hours is what we figured out, the dog would turn and get really nasty. But that took a long time to sort out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had great success over the years with dogs who are having behavioral issues Switching them on to diets, like for example, this one dog, this terrier, who was having a number of different aggressive problems, and um, before any training started, after the initial evaluation, I had them switch the dog off of. In this case, it was Purina Beneful, and onto oh, a lord a raw food. Yeah, and the owner noticed the de- the aggression decreased. It didn't go away, but that it significantly decreased just by switching the food that's amazing yeah yep um so that's really something to to have on your radar as well and to know that i mean and think of kids i mean kids who are you know eating fast food and drinking soda and then going and trying to sit still at school and they're having Mm -hmm. all sorts of behavioral problems just because of the sugar Mm -hmm. um you know so it definitely makes sense people don't tend to think that food can affect behavior, but it really can.
3: Yeah. Well, and you had also mentioned too, I don't want to get off topic, but medical in relation to pain. Mm -hmm. Again, I remember another case where this woman was really frustrated that the dog was biting the kids Mm -hmm. and there were kids in the family. And she was telling me this. I, I, I just remember her telling me this, that she actually had taken the dog into the vet, have it examined to figure out, you know, do we need to put this dog down? And it was a very coated, fluffy dog throughout its neck area. And one of the kids had slipped a rubber band over the dog's (gasps) neck. And it had ingrown into the skin. And it did smell, but she didn't really notice it. You know, she was telling me the story. And every time the kids would get near her neck or go to hug her, she would snap at them. And this is what they found. Wow. Yeah, and you never would have seen it. And this dog could have potentially been put down for something that was, you know, a misunderstanding,
0: basically. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be talking more with Tracy Ross about dogs and aggression. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. I'm just a-walking my dog, singing my song, I'm strolling along. It's just me and my dog, catching some sun, we can't go wrong. My love is lonely and blue. Yeah, I was sad as a sailor. I was an angry one too. Then there was you. Appeared when I was entangled with youth and fear. And Nerves jingle, jangle. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog
1: Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. It is said that on the morning of his only child's birth, the Buddha left his wife and son without saying goodbye. As he stepped forth to seek enlightenment, we'll hear the little-known story behind The Buddha's Wife with Samuel Shem. And Dr. Karen Wyatt shares what really matters, seven lessons for living from the stories of the dying. We can, she says, discover what really matters in our own lives and begin to fulfill our potential and purpose now. Join us every Monday at Noon Pacific on Alternative Talk 1150. Find past shows at ConversationsLive.net.
4: There's nothing else like it on the dial. Alternative Talk, 1150
0: AM. And I said, Lord, I'm happy because I'm just a-walking my
4: dog, singing my song, strolling the loud. It's just me and my dog catching some sun. We can't go wrong. Because I don't care about your hate, man, your- Welcome back
0: to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. We are talking with Tracy Ross, who's an expert in dog training and behavior, uh having conversation about dog aggression, a very broad term, and I feel like we're just getting started and here we are almost at the end of yeah. the show, but that's all right. We'll plenty more time. We'll just have you back. Okay. That'd be um great. So we were talking about um, energy and genetics in our first segment together. If you've missed any part of this episode or any of our over 250 episodes, you can find them all on iTunes as a free podcast and also all archived on our website com, and be sure to like us on Facebook too and be a part of the conversation in between every live show Wednesdays at 2. Um, so, like I said, there's just so, gosh, we're not even, I feel we haven't even hardly gotten started on this topic. Yeah. But for today, uh, I want to move more. We were talking about sort of genetics and how dogs respond to the energy of the environment and also. Uh, about medical potential causes for aggression, either physical pain mm-hmm. or uh, chemical imbalances. And I think Tracy, um, we don't have time today to really get into this can of worms, but talking about medication like psych meds for dogs, which yes. which are really um, I think sort of like the human like for humans being handed out like candy yep. a little bit here. So, yep. um, So really talking about Uh, that as well that would be another uh, make for another great segment some other time okay but let's talk more about the normal use of aggression because I know we both agree that it's important to represent this as part of the topic and probably one of the parts where it's really most commonly misunderstood is when dogs are using aggression by aggression I mean growling baring their teeth tightening their uh, you know muscle tension A hard stare, don't do, I'm not comfortable with this or don't do that anymore or whatever. And then all the way up to, you know, growling, snapping, making contact, biting. There's all these different levels that dogs, when they're in control of themselves, will use aggression. And then they generally don't use an excessive form of aggression. If what they need to communicate is, if they're able to communicate it with just a growl, they're not likely going to bite. Correct, if they don't need to, right. Something that people could um use as a model, I think, for our own our own communication with each other. Um, but so dogs use aggression very normally, and a lot of times dogs get in trouble for this. I think a great example that we talked about is somebody has a especially like a you know adult dog, and they bring in a puppy
3: correct. Yep. And everybody's been told that, you know, dogs shouldn't growl. Mm -hmm. And so they do. They discipline them for that.
0: So the older dog growls at the puppy. Yep. And then the older dog gets in trouble. Mm -hmm. So not fair. And actually can be damaging or make it worse, really, because that existing dog isn't being allowed to just set boundaries with this new puppy and teach the puppy about. Normal, healthy communication between dogs. Correct. It needs
3: to be balanced, though, too. Yes. You know, so the the little growl here and there, and communicating with that puppy, and letting them know, hey, this is you know something I don't like. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there are those dogs that go one step further, and they're they're going out of their space to overly discipline sure. the puppy. Yeah. So you know, it's hard for owners to understand which one do I do I correct for, and which one do I? How far do I let this go between the two?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember when I first got Leia, my little dachshund, uh-huh. who was, all, she's the easiest dog I'll probably ever have in my life. She's sweet. Oh, seven weeks, seven and a half weeks old, brought her home, slept through the night. That's awesome. First night. Yeah. Like seven hours or eight hours or something. so easy. And Chewy, my boy, who's since passed away, um, he was cranky with her for like two months. Yeah. And he's he was a nice dog. He's never been, he never bit a dog in his whole life or person. Mm-hmm. But he just was kind of like, you know, I need to establish myself. And then once he felt like he did that and it wasn't excessive, then he started to relax his boundaries with her. And then they were, you know, cuddling together on the same bed.
3: Yep. Because you let that naturally happen. And she understood canine, you know, communication.
0: Yeah. And he's the older established dog and she should learn to respect his space. So um, one of the places where uh, is a common thing that I know we, we both see is when we talk about aggression the kind where it's like resource aggression or guarding Mm -hmm. so i think most commonly probably with bones or something edible but dogs can also uh do it with people a lot too yeah guard guard one person and not you know people cars things yeah Yeah. Uh so um in working with that i think you know certainly important to bring up about this you know i'm always telling people to like or explaining to people about the dog's perspective. So if you, people say, okay, I've got this, I've, we've got a new puppy, and um, I wanna make sure that the dog, that I can take the food bowl, you know, that I can touch yeah. the food bowl. Yeah. I wanna make sure that this dog isn't going to be aggressive around the food bowl. So mm-hmm. what do the people do? They take the food bowl away a lot, you or know, or the bone, yeah. Or the bone, mm-hmm. regularly. And then what can end up happening is at some point the dog frustrated. is frustrated. It's like, cut it out. Yeah. So what would be some other ways that more productively might give people the results that they're after rather than just in some cases maybe creating... um Creating a problem where there wasn't one in before.
3: We really just want control. We want to be able to tell the dog to step away from his bowl if there's, you know, something that could endanger him, or like you said, food's too hot. So teaching the dog a sit that he can step away from that bowl and sit, and nothing's going to happen, instead of you know sticking our hands in there, messing with their face, or pulling them away from it. Right. So just words again, communication. I'd like a sit, or like you know, some people have mentioned. Presenting a hot dog or something, you know, much more enticing towards their food. Yeah. Versus, you can imagine being at a restaurant and having the waiter constantly take a fry from you. You know, eventually you're going to get frustrated, and, and you're
0: going to say something, and that's what the dogs are doing. Right. Darcy always tells me that I'm food aggressive. <laughs> we joke, you know, jokingly. Sure. Because sure. I'm like, ooh, that looks really good. Do you want to split that? And I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> yeah. Mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, and that's a big, you know. I think a great way to wrap up this conversation is talking, you know, when we're talking about our relationship with our dog and, you know, all of these, this whole thing, well, dominance, does it exist? Does it not exist? If it does exist, what does it look like? How do you establish dominance with a dog? Is it, is it this or that or that? And I say Control. Control balance do you have control when you want it yep and you don't have to be a jerk about it Balanced communication yeah yeah all right well so so much more to talk about obviously thanks to tracy ross for being on the show with us today we'll be back next wednesday live from 2 to 3 p.m thanks for listening to the dog show with julie forbes